Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. Hi there, welcome to episode 301 of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. I'm your host, Julie Duffy Dillon, and this episode is a book review episode with me and Yelly Cruz. We are going to be discussing a book called Eat Up by Ruby Tando. And as I am thinking about this book, and I just finished the audio version, and it left me all warm and fuzzy, it's such a different type of food book, and I'm really excited for you to hear my discussion with Yelly in just a few seconds. But before I do that, I am wondering, which books would you like to hear Yelly and I discuss? We are putting together the book reviews for 2023, and we need your insight. Or if you are an author of a book that you want to hear discuss on the podcast, let us know. The only thing that the only requirements are that it needs to somehow relate, of course, to food, bodies, things like that, and also needs to be something that is anti-diet and relates in that way. Because any book that we have on Um, we really want to make sure that it is something that helps your food peace journey, not further harms it. There's a ton of books out there that are all about like just damaging, harmful, rigid ways to talk about food. And again, this book, Eat Up, is something different. We're really excited to share what we found by reading it and what we experienced. But yes, we also want to hear what you recommend. And before we get to the interview, one more thing I want to mention. If you haven't listened to this podcast before or you haven't listened in a while, you may not have heard that I'm no longer on Instagram. Unfortunately, my 
Facebook and Instagram accounts got hacked. And the way they did it, unfortunately, has left me without those social media connections. And, you know, I like connecting with you. I also feel like I'm missing out on like total conversations. The FOMO is real hardcore. So what I'm doing is I just had to go over to TikTok then. And so if you are on TikTok, I would love it if you would give me a follow over there. My handle is the same. It's Food Voice RD. And I have about 500 followers right now. And my goal is to get to a thousand so I can do lives again. I love doing lives. So if you could do that, I would thank you so much in advance, or I do thank you so much in advance to give me a follow over there. And again, it's Food Voice RD. All right. So we are going to get to the conversation with Yelly and me about Eat Up by Ruby Tando, but we're going to have a quick word from some sponsors. This episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast is brought to you by Your Second Opinion, a doctor visit toolkit that the PCOS Power team and I are so excited to finally let you know about. We have been working on this toolkit for a very long time, and we want to give you insight into what it includes. So imagine going to your PCOS doctor and having everything ready beforehand included some guided imagery to listen to as you're getting ready for your appointment to help your nervous system feel a little bit more calm. And then you walk into the appointment with a list of all the questions ready and a list of labs that you want drawn and some helpful pointers to help you to advocate for yourself as you're navigating this fat phobic <laughs> place that is PCOS Healthcare. And then after the appointment, having a way to listen to some guided imagery to help your nervous system again, get back online, and then a way to call a friend, someone who can help you sift through everything that came up. That's what's included in the doctor toolkit called Your Second Opinion. And again, the PCOS Power team and I are really excited to bring this to you. We've been wanting to put something together just to help you navigate navigate the neglectful PCOS healthcare system. We're trying to change it, but until then, we want to give you all the help we can. So get to all the details at julieduffydillon.com slash toolkit. Again, it's julieduffydillon.com slash toolkit. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey, Yelly, welcome Hello. to season eight. <laughs> um, and of course, I had to ask you what season this was just a second ago, because I'm like, wait, what season are we on? I really thought it was like five or six. Wow. It just, Wild. we lose track. Yeah, yeah, we're having fun, I guess the saying goes. But anyway, I'm so glad that we can be chatting about Eat Up by Ruby. Is it Tando? Is that how you say her last name? Yes, I, I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I am grateful that you introduced this book um, to me. Um, I can recall a text saying, Julie, we need to have this book on the podcast. Do you remember how you found it? Um, I think I just saw it on 
online and I saw uh-huh. that because I watched Great British Bake Off. Um, so I already mm. knew of her and I saw that she mm-hmm. was a contestant on it and that she had written this book that's like um, just positive about food, like anti-diet mm-hmm. culture-y. Um, and yes. that really intrigued me. So I started reading it and I honestly, I remember I was reading the introduction and mm-hmm. it's so good and just so um, so like radical in the sense that she right off the bat talks about like, you're allowed to eat whatever you want. Um, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember texting you at that moment and being like, Julie, yeah. do you need to do this? <laughs> well, yeah, I have two things that I'm thinking about with this. Because I remember you said like, she's like, being totally like drawing the line in the sand, like I'm fat positive, I'm anti-diet and mm-hmm. um, like was not like leaving it up to like wishy-washy, which a lot of books I'm reading right now, I think because intuitive eating and like diet being a bad word, now people are kind of like riding the line in between and and this book was not like that, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, refreshing, especially if I'm going to recommend it to folks who are trying to recover um, from their eating disorder or diet culture. So, so there's that. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that Rachel, our PCOS power forward community manager, of course she was like, Oh yeah, I know about this book. Like she's the one that actually likes cooking. And she like had been waiting for it to be available in the U S where Rachel and I live. So, um, yeah, like she's like, Oh yeah, I've known about this book for a long time. Um, but something that you and I have in common that I don't know if, if folks listening know this, but we are both not really into cooking and and that's probably being a really like that's a very light way to say it like i know <laughs> i t- i really don't enjoy cooking like it, it's the last on the list for me which is really weird i think as a dietitian <laughs> i feel kind of like this like oddball um yeah how do you feel about cooking like how would you describe it I don't, I don't think I hate it as much as you do necessarily, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I don't, I kind of just see it as something I've gotten to do, um, to survive Mm -hmm. as a human being. Mm -hmm. I don't, um, find joy in it as much as our lovely Rachel does. Um, yes, exactly. I can cook things that maybe have like five ingredients in them and are maximum 10 steps. And that's pretty much um, where I draw the line with cooking. (laughs) Yeah. I know for some people, they're like, they find so much pleasure in the experience. And Mm -hmm. I just, it doesn't bring me pleasure. And it kind of reminds me, this may sound ridiculous, but it it reminds me of like my relationship to skiing. And and, and I'm laughing because I can recall uh, my partner and I, we used to go skiing once a year with a group of friends and out in the Colorado mountains. And every year we we went every year for like 10 years. And each year I would buy one less day pass with skiing. And and then the last year we were there, I just did like a half a day and I ran into a tree very, very slowly because oh. obviously I was in like, I was on like the, the bunny slopes. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? Why am I pretending? I don't like skiing. I enjoy people who like skiing, but I just don't like it. And I'm just going to be okay with that from now on. And so <laughs> I'm like, I kind of feel the same way about, about cooking. It's just like, you know, a lot of people that I love and people that I hang out with, 
people in my profession, they really enjoy cooking and I just don't get enjoyment out of the process. And the thing that's like the ironic part is like this book, the author, like that's like, she's like, you know, if we had like the, the dichotomy of like loving cooking and hating cooking, she's like over on the other side of us. Like it brings her so much connection and joy. And Mm -hmm. so what, what was it like for you to read this? Like, as someone who enjoys cooking, um, not you, but like <laughs> Ruby, enjoying it so much and describing it in so much detail, her experience, what was it like for you? I thought it was really interesting because she writes about it in such sensory detail. Like mm-hmm. she will talk about, I don't know, making like a tomato soup and she will talk about the way it smells, the way the tomatoes feel in your hand, the way that the garlic like smell lingers on your fingers after you chop it up. Um, And it like, she wrote about it in such a romantic, like floofy way that it made Mm -hmm. me want to love cooking. (laughs) Like it made me want to. Me too. um, Yeah. Try to cook and like be in the kitchen. Um, So yeah. And I will say uh, I do not like cooking, but I love eating. Like I've Mm -hmm. I've talked a lot on the podcast about how much I love like getting takeout and just like eating good food that other people have made that love cooking. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that as somebody who loves to eat and loves to kind of participate in that part of food, um, I really did enjoy reading the book. Yes. There must have been something about the tomato soup recipe because that's one of the ones I remember the most too. Um, Like the way she described it, I remember thinking like, oh, I feel so warm and fuzzy right now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like thinking about the soup and it did, it made me want to want to cook. You know, I had that kind of uh, desire and um, it also, even though I, I, still don't think I'm going to want to want to cook, but it reminds me of like when I go to someone's house um, or if someone's over at my house and they're cooking in the kitchen, um, oftentimes someone will say, well, just come hang out with me while I'm cooking. Like the person who loves cooking. And I love being that person that like is just hanging out, talking with the person who's cooking and like watching. Yeah. Having the wine and like, and, and smelling the things and just like watching the process. Um, and not in a way of like they're cooking for me, but like, you know, someone's enjoying that process and they just don't want to be by themselves. And that's what this book felt like to me too. Is like I was sitting with, with Ruby in the kitchen and like she was going through all the process and the the methods in her recipes. And um, it did. It painted a fabulous picture. And mm-hmm. um, I, I did the the audio version. And when she would talk about these recipes, I would imagine in the book, they would be kind of easy to kind of skip over. I don't know if it was, but like in the audio, you know, it just keeps going. And so that, you know, she would say the measurements and everything and like how to yeah. do it. And it, it painted this fabulous picture and I could like smell the stuff and um, feel like the temperature and the senses. Cause yeah, she would talk about things being sticky or drippy and, um, yeah. So I don't, did you have a similar experience like reading the actual book instead of just like listening to it like I was? 
I did. I do think that the recipes would visually be easy to skip over, but I think that Mm -hmm. when you stop to actually read them, she adds more into it than just Mm -hmm. a typical Mm -hmm. recipe. Like she, one of the recipes is um, a recipe for a Cadbury cream egg. And it's literally just her like step-by-step going through the process of going to the store and buying your cream egg and unwrapping it and like smelling it and holding it up to your mouth. And it was so delightful. And I think that there's like little tidbits like that in all of the recipes. I Um, loved that part. Oh my gosh. Do you have any foods like that? That you have like a almost a ritual with, um, um yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't know if any come to mind to you. <laughs> yeah, I um really love Wendy's. The Wendy's mm-hmm. is my um like I had an exhausting day at work and my commute was so long and literally mm. all I'm craving right now is Wendy's French fries um mm-hmm. and I will like go to the drive-through and I'll pick up my little Wendy's French fries and my little baconator and come back home and like unwrap the the burger and take a fry and like scoop up the like little drip of cheese that that, that didn't make it onto the burger and that is my <laughs> kind of like religious food experience yes oh that sounds awesome i um french fries are one of my favorite foods like if i had to choose mm-hmm. like a top five french fries are definitely in there um i don't know if i choose wendy's mcdonald's may do it better for me but i still can relate <laughs> um <laughs> one food that i have kind of a a ritual with that brings me back to childhood is, and I don't know if, do you have little Debbie's where you are? Mm-mm, no. I don't, have you heard of that? It's just like a, a snack cake that you can find in like in a grocery store. And they have these ones and I can't remember the name. Maybe I'll think of the name of the, the type. Um, but they're, they were white icing with like brown squiggles and they were shaped like an octagon. Oh my gosh, I can't remember the name of these cakes. Someone's going to like be listening and be like, they're screaming the name right now because <laughs> yeah. they're kind of like iconic in the US. But um, these little Debbies, I would always eat the icing around the edges of the octagon and then peel off of the course. top and eat the icing. And then like, and there was like a little bit of cream between the cakes. And so I would, I would open them up almost like an Oreo, you know, opening them up and um, eat one side at a time and then save like the, the creamy top one. <laughs> For last, and they always had two in the little like plastic thing, and so I would do that twice. I mean, it was like after school ritual for sure. And um, when I think about it now, because I can't remember the last time I had one of those, like it's been over a decade. Um, I need to get some. I think I think that's what that means. <laughs> yes. It's bringing me some warm fuzzy memories, and honestly, that is like what this book was full of is that like warm fuzzy for me and and also times where it was like huh and um looking at our outline I I know you have something marked here that this may be a good time to talk about was um Ruby talks about like the morality and like clean eating like the morality Mm. of food um what I don't I don't even know how to start to open up this one (laughs) Because thinking yeah. about Wendy's and then the Little Debbie's, we kind of are on the opposite side of clean eating when we talk about those foods. And, you know, when people talk about um, clean eating and or even challenging kind of notions of um, what is appropriate to eat, I, I'm always a little like 
doubtful that an author is going to describe it in a way that I think is going to be safe for someone who's trying to recover from an eating disorder. Um, mm-hmm. But the way Ruby talks about it, I was like, huh, yeah, this is, this is all right. This is um, something that I think could be helpful for someone that is, has this really complicated relationship with food. So I'm going to stop talking. Yeah. So I'm curious what your, your thoughts are all, all of that. Yeah. I think that her perspective was really interesting because she's not a dietitian um, mm-hmm. or like a registered in any sense of mm-hmm. that in like a health space. Um, so she really approached it from more of an anthropological perspective mm-hmm. of just like, I'm noting right now what society kind of tells you mm-hmm. about these mm-hmm. foods. Um, and she, I guess maybe to start, um, she does have a chapter as well on junk food um, mm-hmm. and about how junk food is positioned in society. And her um, kind of biggest takeaway, her biggest point from that is that like junk food, again, uh, health is not like a morally good thing. It's not um, necessarily like a thing that we have to strive for in the sense of like, healthy is always good and junk food is always bad but she really drives home the point that junk food is the most um democratic food out there right now like it's the most accessible food for folks across the board and on the flip side of that she also talks about um clean food not only in the context of clean dieting because i think that that's mm-hmm. you know obviously like clean quote unquote diets are harmful and not a positive thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But she also talks about it in the sense of like, there's this kind of morality around the idea Mm -hmm. of going to the farmer's market and grabbing like the freshest food possible from the farmer's market and then going home and like only using like the freshest of tomatoes, for example, to make that tomato soup. Um, And obviously like not that there's anything again morally wrong with that if you're somebody who likes going to the farmer's market every week and doing that and that's a routine that brings you joy but she talks about how a lot of that is still steeped in this diet culture the sense of you need to you know pay ten dollars i don't even know how much farmer's market tomatoes cost but you need to pay ten dollars to buy the freshest of tomatoes rather than um paying three dollars for them at the grocery store um yeah. What did you think? Yeah. And you, you know, you going through that um, part of the book where she talks about going to the farmer's market and picking the freshest tomatoes. Um, it reminds me of when I was um, attending a conference and Dr. Stephen Brotman, I think is his name. He's the the doctor who um, came up with, the, up with the term orthorexia. And I think Ruby talks about orthorexia in the book too. And like, and of course her own struggles with eating disorders. But uh, the reason I bring it up is because um, Dr. Brotman mentions like what his own experiences with orthorexia. And um, he was talking about like carrots and harvesting carrots. And he got to the point where um, he had to eat it like right after it got pulled out of the ground. Um, Like if it was if it was harvested yesterday, he got to a point where that was too long. And wow. he was like, okay. And that was the point where he was like, I think there's a problem here. <laughs> like something is going on with me where, um, you know, it just gave him a pause to be like, okay, this is obviously becoming something else. And unfortunately, I 
that seems to be such a norm in circles with, um, around me and my, and, you know, just my part of the world. Um, I have a feeling similar for you too, the Ellie, like people talk so much about like, I don't know, like having, getting things from the source or talking about sustainability, but also in a way that does have that moral kind of part to it. And, Mm -hmm. um, the thing I really liked about how this author describes like this conversation is they are very frank about some of the sustainability issues. Um, you know, like I remember she said something about like, um, McDonald's, you know, it's problematic as fuck and how wonderful something was that, tasting. I don't know. Like she talked about both of it. And, um, I just think that's a really hard task to take. Like, um, when I I look back at some of the things I've written on my blog, like five years ago, I'm like, Ooh, no, I don't agree with that. Like, it's so hard to like capture all of this without being dogmatic. And somehow this author does it. Um, which I appreciate because it's like a really go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you're good. I was just going to say, I also wanted to note that because I can picture the folks that are passionate about sustainability right now screaming at me and being like, but the public market is for the planet. And I agree. And um, yeah, yeah. Ruby also yeah. has a chapter where she just talks about the um, the food chain. Is that what it's called? Just like the, yeah, the process so. from farm to table. Um, yes. And I think that what she always comes back to, which is really important for me, is you are allowed to do what you need to do to eat in the way that fills you up the way that you need. That was a mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of whirl, whirlwind way to say that. But um, I think yeah. that like when we were talking about a previous book, I think you had asked me at one point if I had ever come across a book where the author gave just explicit permission to do what you need when it comes to food. And I think that I, Mm -hmm. at that point had said, no, I don't think so. And I think Mm -hmm. that this is that book for me. Oh, that's so great. That's a, that's a big deal. Go Ruby. (laughs) Go Ruby. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. I agree that there's, there's, um, like people always ask me like, what's a book that you recommend? And there's, um, there's some about um, some like cultural issues and um, political type things related to like bodies and body image that I feel really um, firm about. But when it comes down to like talking about food, there's very few that I'm like, yeah, I feel really yeah. confident about recommending this. The only thing that I, I had a issue with, I don't know if, if this like set off any kind of bells for you, but like there was a very small part that talks about eating um, to help manage disease. And mm-hmm. as a dietitian, I mean, that's like our bread and butter, you know, uh, medical nutrition therapy is like, that's the phrase that as dietitians we use, like when we go to school to learn like how to manage diabetes using food or how to um, manage cystic fibrosis using food. Like um, that's, you know, just what dietitians, what we do. And there are a few ways that she talked about it that I was like, huh, this may be a part that I felt, I felt a little squirrely and uncomfortable. And I, I think I just didn't agree with like the how, like, I think there was a mentioning of like eliminating 
um, all sugar or something like that for diabetes. And I was like, no, that's actually not what you need to do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, But it's also like a really common assumption. I think most people would like make when they think about like managing food intake and diabetes. And um, so that's the only part that I was like, I I would pluck that part out, but you know, everything else was super great. But um, I'm looking at the notes you um, provided for, for us today. And um, I just, there was a lot of um, metaphor in this book that I, I felt like she did a really good job about, and you um, are saying here that um, Ruby talks a lot about cooking as something that's also moralized and turned into something clean when it actually can be very messy and frustrating. And I want to talk a little bit about that part, you know, because I think the striving for eating clean can be a part of like, I want to be perfect or I want to appear to be perfect or I want to let people know, or I want to feel like I'm not fucking things up. And the thing that I got from Ruby is like, all of us, like we, like the, we, when we eat an ice cream cone, it's dripping down our hands or yeah. uh, we make a mess in with all these pots in the kitchen. And, um, and that's something that I know in the, the clinical experience with clients, we often will talk about, and that's a really important part for folks recovery is like food is messy. And it's not, it doesn't fit in these like black and white boxes. Like I think we're told that they should. Yeah. What do you no, think? I agree. Yeah, what, I also, um, I also wonder if that kind of plays into like old fashioned notions of kind of like a woman's place in the kitchen mm. and like how, oh, like as the woman, as the wife, you have to like cook everything and make sure that your husband comes home to like a perfectly cooked steak and like a perfectly crafted (laughs) plate of dinner. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. As opposed to, Mm -hmm. yeah, just being allowed to burn the pie and still eat it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or just throw it out and get get takeout. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching some shows from like the fifties and sixties and they would show that type of housewife that you're describing and like making a total mess in the kitchen and having on like adult version of play clothes, but Mm then, um, and like uh, an apron and all that stuff. But then like right before the husband comes home, like cleaning everything up and putting on like a nice dress and to make it look like it was like clean all day. (laughs) And yeah, I didn't think about that when I was reading it, but how much um, our relationship with food is also fighting those stereotypes. And, but yeah, so like when I was reading it, I wasn't thinking about that until you were mentioning it. So thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me, uh, I don't know. It's just like a really, it just reminds me so much about how food is like a metaphor for so Mm -hmm. much. And if we can kind of like see our relationship with food and define it, it probably is going to also like define another part of our life, you know? Um, And I remember Ruby, like one of the things that she talked about was her queerness and her relationship with food, how as she was like recovering from her eating disorder and relationship with food and being more like playful and like, um, seeking pleasure and satisfaction, how that also translated in relationships. 
and mm-hmm. as a, like this really positive kind of like way of taking care of herself and meeting her her wants and her needs. And it made me think about like, oh, I wonder where that's happening in my life or the listener's life or Yelly's life, like where your relationship with food kind of is mirroring something else. And um, one thing I thought about was um, sometimes food can become so like a checkbox of like, okay, I have to do this every, and it reminds me of like, um, you know, in the season of my life where my kids are like, especially after school, after school activities, it's like, I just look at my Google calendar and it's all full and I'm like, okay, I gotta be here, 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 gotta drive here. And then how am I going to be also here at the same time? Like food just kind of has that same kind of like experience sometimes too. And, um, that's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also like, this is the season, you know? Um, I'm totally putting you on the spot, but I don't know if you have something like that too. Like, you're like, oh yeah, like food has that kind of mirror image to something else in my life. And again, I'm totally putting you on the spot, so feel free to pass. <laughs> no, no, you're good. I think that the first thing that comes to mind to me is that I often think of food in the context of um, my mom specifically I I've been in therapy lately and we've in therapy I've been like yeah I've been unpacking a lot of just like my family and stuff like that but one thing that Mm -hmm. has kind of risen to the surface is that as something that I've always known which is that um my mom has always used food as a way to express her love um Mm -hmm. and I think that I do um I do feel that in the ways that I talk about food, even just as like food as mm-hmm. comfort. I've like said that a lot or like, mm-hmm. I um like feel very loved when my wife Haley makes me dinner in the same way that mm-hmm. like growing up, I knew that like, even if my mom was mad at me, she would was still going to make me dinner. And that was a sign that like, she still loves me, even though she Aww. wasn't mad at me. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. It's like a reliable constant. Mm-hmm. you know and um yeah oh that's that's nice yeah i think there's so much that we can kind of bridge um and have insight into our own like just ways that we're moving through this world by how we're relating to food and yeah yeah ruby really hit that home i also um loved this is totally random but she refers to human bodies as like gaseous forms and yes. like a lot of places. And that is just so delightful to me whenever she said that. I mean, if someone's going to bring up farts or like yeah. gas, you know, I think that is, this book was really fun in that way. You know, mm-hmm. it was very like tactile, like used all the senses and fun. Um, although it does go into some like pretty not fun topics but still it was like for the most part really really fun yeah it's a good um balance. it's a good balance yeah and I know we're starting to run out of time but there is one topic that we haven't like as I'm going through the outline that we haven't gone through that you reminded me of and I had to be like wait when did she talk about this but you mentioned like prison food mm-hmm. and um you know Ruby um talks about like I think it was in the section where she's talking about like the ethical side of food and like um, food ethics and bringing up prison food. What were the things that you remember she talked about? 
Cause I know you had to like totally remind me. <laughs> yes. I am literally just going to read a quote because mm-hmm. I cannot say it better. <laughs> she says it, yes. but she's talking about kind of studies about prison food and the, like the, uh, the stereotype that's like true, but, um, that like kind of goes around that like prison food is just awful. And she says that because the food we eat so powerfully embodies who we are and where we stand in society, prison food not only deprives, but it also defines. You get slop for nobodies, a dog's dinner for animals, muck for people whose humanity was given up long ago. Mm. That quote is so powerful. Yes. And she basically just talks about like that, about how the food that prisoners are fed is very much a reflection of the way that they're positioned in society. Obviously mm-hmm. is that's not good. That's awful. Um, but then she yeah. also talks about how in some like um, in some prisons, residents are actually allowed to cook their own meals and grow their own produce. And that actually like nourishes a sense of community and confidence and belonging just just through food, um, which mm-hmm. is magical, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is magical. And, and I would imagine for a listener, um, they may not relate to being in like physical like prison, but like mm-hmm. the way that they prepare their food and um, nourish themselves may feel just as like um, thoughtless, you know, like just, I am going to prepare whatever, like I think about people like making some drinks with some powders and, um, detox teas and crap like that. Um, that tastes awful, but just thinking that that, that's just what they have to have. Um, or food that is really without, um, like sauces, like without cheese, (laughs) without salt, um, things that make it taste, have taste, you know, and, using that kind of quote to be even connecting for yourself, for you, the listener, like if you are feeding yourself in that way, because the food does become us. And this author does talk about that a lot. Like literally the food becomes us. Like we, it Mm -hmm. goes in our mouth and becomes part of our body. Um, How that it makes sense that someone would feel so negative about themselves. And, you know, one thing I always tell folks is like, we all need at least, and I'm saying this to myself right now after I made that connection, (laughs) Um, but we all need at least one meal a day that's like hot or, you know, warm, you know, where we can um, sit down and eat it. And it almost as this like metaphor of like, you deserve to be taken care of and providing something that's nourishing and um, special and and special enough to be at least warm, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And, um, everyone like, because it's not just the food, it's actually like the, the pleasure that comes from it and the acknowledgement of like, I am worth it to have something that, um, is going to nourish me instead of just checking that box off. Again, I'm giving myself my own advice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, so, um, I wonder if there's anything else that we haven't talked about do we do we cover everything? Uh, definitely not, but I don't think we can. There's so much, <laughs> so much in the book. I think we've covered everything that I wanted to go over. Um, yes. Was there anything that you missed on your end? No, but it did make me want to play with my food more. 
don't mm-hmm. know if you had that experience. Um, and maybe that's what I'll do. Instead of like maybe like cooking, I'll just make some really gooey, messy s'mores because it's kind of it's fall. Mm-hmm. You know, it's cooler. We do outside fires now, so like maybe I'll get some s'more stuff and do that this weekend. That sounds like it would, like meet that kind of craving from reading this book. Um, yes, but I'm I really grateful that. that I'm grateful that you texted me this book and, you know, found it. And um, it's Eat Up by Ruby Tando. Um, so enjoy. <laughs> Eat up. <laughs> yes. Enjoy your food today. And I hope if, listener, if you're wanting a book that's like helps promote just like a different way of thinking and experiencing food, this is a great one just to keep at your like bedside table to like read through whenever you just need to have like something positive in your brain about food. Hey, thanks, Sally, for uh, the conversation and again, introducing me to this book. Anytime. Thanks, Julie. So there you have it. The book is Eat Up by Ruby Tando. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast, we always appreciate subscribing or sharing an episode. Doing that helps other people find us. You can also leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it in advance. And don't forget the new product, Your Second Opinion. The digital medical care toolkit that we're working on is coming out very soon. It's actually going to come out on Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving in the U.S. And you can check out all the details at julieduffydillon.com slash toolkit. All right. So I will see you next week for another episode of Find Your Food Voice. Take care. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice Pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed and Colleen Brebner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.